Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Ben. I'm an elder here at the church. Uh, I've been here, moved up from Maryland with the rest of the team to start this church. Uh, and uh, get to know me, so come to a home group or come to celebrate, and you get to know me more. I can tell you what I like to do and all these other fun things. Uh, I have a wife and a daughter back there, newborn. If you don't know her, get to know her. They're in the back. So uh, it's funny. Today, uh, I was torn between preaching on two things for like a month, and I finally picked one, and I was going with it, and I was still unsure. And I was like, well, this doesn't feel, and I fleshed it all out, typed it all out, and then Today, when Mike came up to close worship, he actually started preaching my message. <laughs> and so I was like, wait, this is insane, because for me, it was a confirmation. I was like, wait, this is what the Lord is doing today. This is a, a thing that the Lord is doing. So if you want to turn with me uh, to Matthew 18, 1 through 4 is what we're going to read from. Uh, first, I want to tell you a story. Uh, anyone ever have like a humbling experience? Like you go in thinking you're good at something? And you like you think you're gonna like dominate and like be awesome, and you come out and you like all your pride's gone because you just couldn't do what you thought you were doing. So I have a story. I was in Los Angeles, California, on a missions trip uh, in 2006. I was 18. I was young. I thought I was good at stuff. And so one day they're like, "Hey, go out to Skid Row." Which Skid Row is one of the worst places in in Los Angeles. It's a huge homeless population, lots of violence. And so me. I was like, well, what am I good at? Because I want to connect with people. I was like, wait, I'm great at basketball. I'm six foot seven. I can dunk at the time I could dunk. Robert's the only person that's seen me dunk recently, so I can still dunk. He'll tell you about it. <laughs> but uh, So I go. I'm like, I'm going to be awesome. I'm going to connect with people. I'm going to play basketball. It's going to be an awesome time. And they're going to be like, this guy's great. And then they'll come to the Lord because of that. So I go there, and I, I find this court. And it was me and Mark Ryder. Mark used to be the worship pastor here, and he left for North Carolina. So it was me and him. And we go find this court, and I was like, hey, anyone want to play two-on-two? And I hear this voice go, we will. And I turn and look, and there's this guy doing pull-ups on a broken fence, shirt already off, ripped, biggest muscle I've ever seen. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> and so he grabbed a friend who was equally as big, and I was like, well, what are the rules? And they say, Los Angeles rules. I was like, what are those? Like, there are none. And I was like, this is not going to be fun. I called tons of fouls. They would not give me any fouls. We played. We did not score one point. And right then I was like humble because I came in with this pride and I realized, wait a second, my basketball skills in a town with one traffic light don't translate to basketball skills in Los Angeles. So it was like a humbling experience. And I've had plenty more uh, of humbling experiences where I think I'm like going to be awesome at something. I go in and I'm like, wow, that was a lot of pride in my heart thinking that. And so today we see... The disciples sort of come to Jesus with a question out of pride, and he quickly humbles them, and it humbles us today as well. Uh, So uh, if you're there, it's Matthew 18. Uh, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So let's stop. That was a purely prideful question. They weren't like inquisitive just about, like, who's going to be this? I wonder. They're like, I hope he says my name. Like That was their whole goal was for him to pick one of them and say, you're the greatest. They actually just came from an experience where, Jesus was taxed. He went to a temple and collected a temple tax from him, and Peter pulled money out of a fish to pay the tax. But they have this conversation where Jesus is like, do kings tax their sons, or do they tax people? And he's like, no, they don't tax their sons. They tax the people they don't know. So in their mind, in that moment, they're thinking, wait, are we going to be his sons? Are we going to be great in the kingdom of heaven because we want to tax people or not be taxed? That was their thought. So 
Right after that, they come to Jesus and say, who's the greatest, Jesus? We want to know. And calling to him a child, verse 2, he put in the midst of them and said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And I can't, I love to picture reactions, I love to make up stories in my head, but can you imagine the disciples in that moment when Jesus grabs like this random kid running around and says, this guy's the greatest in the kingdom? These disciples were handpicked by Jesus. Like, they thought they were special. Like, wait, Jesus called us all out, 12 of us. We're special. It's going to be one of us. They were, like, were arguing with each other, whispering to one another. Like, he's going to say my name. And he doesn't. He picks up a child and says, you have to be like it to enter the kingdom. And the funny part is, in chapter 20, you see James and John's mom come to Jesus, sort of ask him the same question in a different way. They're like, hey, Jesus, can you make my son sit next to you, like on the right and the left? And so I, it's just funny. In my head, this is how it goes down. James and John went off to the side, and they're like, well, we have a mom. We were children. Let's get mom to like go in and be like, hey, Jesus, we were kids. They are kids once. Make them the greatest. And so they still don't get it, but like, I like to also point out that in the end, John ends up being the one Jesus loved, and I think he finally realized what it meant to be a child. And so today I want to look at what it means to be like a child and to be in the kingdom. I want to make a broader statement and a broader look at it and go deeper into it. But the first thing I want to point out is when he says that unless you turn and become like a child, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven, he's, say, he's not saying you guys aren't saved. He's not saying unless you like have a mindset of a kid, you can't be saved. I fully believe that he's saying you can't fully enjoy the kingdom, enjoy its benefits, and have the mindset of a kingdom unless you turn and become like a child. And the second part of this, uh, while it is humbling, and while it does like, take every bit of pride out of us to go, wait a second, he's just saying a kid can enter the kingdom and I'm a grown adult. There's so much hope in that and there's so much freedom in that because he's saying the kingdom is not some corporate ladder you have to climb. You don't have to be qualified. You don't have to work to get to it. I love when Jared was here. He said the line, Why, stop working towards the kingdom, work for the kingdom. It blew my mind. Because so many times we think somehow if we pray harder, if we evangelize harder, if we do something, that God's going to be like, okay, they're the greatest now. He's like, he has no ranking system. He has no pay grade for any of us. In fact, we see a parable uh, later on about vineyard workers. This guy hires vineyard workers at different hours of the day. One at the eighth hour, he hires him. He works all day. The last hour, he hires one more guy to work for him. They go line up to get paid, and Jesus, or the vineyard worker pays them all the same thing. Can you imagine that happening today if you like worked more than someone? They're like, okay, everyone gets $1. That's the kingdom. And it's so freeing because if we already are there, we're already in the kingdom, why are we working for something? And it gives us this place of rest and being able to be a child, knowing that we don't have to work for anything, but God's given us everything. And it's just so funny that they're thinking like, where am I going to sit in heaven? And we see later in Ephesians where he's like, you're seated in heavenly places with Christ. So we... If you think about it, we're actually already made the ascension to that corporate ladder. All of us together, all of us here, however unqualified you think you are, we're seated in heavenly places with Christ and we work from that authority. And it's just a freeing thing. It's such great news that stop striving. Stop working towards something here. God is saying, rest in me, knowing fully assured who you are, a child of mine. It's just freeing news. And if we don't get that and we keep working for things, it's going to lead to a pointless life. We're going to be always unsatisfied. We're always going to be upset. We're always going to be, have pride. We're always going to be jealous of other people. 
I remember my one roommate when I lived down south, he was a new Christian, and he was doing things better than I've done things as a Christian. He was new. Like, I was like, how is this guy getting these opportunities to speak, changing people's lives, and he's only been a Christian for a year? Look at me. I've grown up in the church, and this jealousy entered my heart. We can be free from that today if we just realize there's, there's no strife in any of this. There's just being a child. It's such freeing news. And so let's look a little deeper at this. First, I just want to point out that this verse requires, it has an action involved in it. He says, unless you turn. So today, if we hear all this and we don't go home and turn and start thinking a certain way, it's not going to do anything for us. So the first thing is it requires an action. When he tells them to be born again, I mean, that blew their mind because they're like, wait, I have to, like, but it was true. It was an action. You must have the mindset of being born again. So if you hear this today, you need to do the first step. And then the second thing is, I want to point this out before I get into the rest of this, is there's a difference in being childlike and being childish. <laughs> so I'm not kidding. Don't like hear this message and go, okay, I can go home. I can forego all my responsibilities. I don't have to pay rent. God's going to take care of my rent. I'm just going to live a fun life. That is not what I'm saying today. That is childish. That is not childlikeness. So don't make that mistake. Uh, it would not pay bills, me, when I was younger, credit card debt, you know. <laughs> but that was childishness. That was me. But childlikeness, you work and in those tough times where it doesn't seem like anything's coming through. You trust in God to provide. You don't just sit at home and not have a job thinking that you're a child. That's not how it works. So there's a few things I want to look at uh, being a child and how that can, how their point of view and what they do is actually what we're supposed to do towards God as a father. And I'm new to fatherhood. My daughter's eight months old, but I think I'm an expert, so here we go. A child is completely dependent on and trusting its parents. My daughter, when she's hungry or she needs something or she's scared, her first response is to cry to one of us. Her first response isn't to go off and find something that will fulfill her. Her first response is to say, Dad. That's what God wants for us. Have you ever noticed a kid when that sort of gets lost or doesn't see his parents around him? They don't go looking for a stranger to comfort them. They turn like, Dad, Mom. And that's how we are supposed to respond in those times. We're not supposed to run off, find our own things. Our first response is to cry, Dad, knowing and trusting that he'll give us what we need. Do you ever see a child worry about anything? A young child. Do you ever see him worry about anything? Why? Yeah, because they know and they trust their parents will take care of them. I remember it was probably about like 10 or 11. You ever have like that where... Up to that point, like, everything was good. Like, you're like, okay, my parents are taking care of me. And then, like, you overhear a conversation about the debt that they're in, and you're like, oh, man. And so, like, your childness and your innocence, like, that was when I lost it. And I was like, wait, there's struggles here? They don't have me? Let me tell you some good news. God is not in debt. God is not your parents. God will fully provide for what you need. In Matthew 6, 25 through 31, we don't have to turn there, uh, I'll read it. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on it. Is not life more than food and body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of a value than they? And which by you being anxious can add a single hour to your life? 
I love that. Like somehow we think if we worry enough, our time will be extended. <laughs> We're like, okay, we got this. We got more hours. This is great. And why are you so anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Hold up, stop. Solomon, one of the richest kings in Israel, everything he had he wanted. He probably like looked awesome. And, and God said the lilies looked better than him. And that guy had everything, everything he wanted. And he's saying, why are you worrying? But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. How freeing. How awesome. He's saying this grass, look at the grass. Have you ever seen like a really good green grass? It's tough in Scranton, but have you ever seen like been somewhere like, wow, that is awesome grass. That grass withers and dies, and yet God still makes that look beautiful. Why are you so afraid and worried about what he's going to provide for you? When we're in that place of worry, it doesn't put us in any good mood. It doesn't add hours. We can't keep adding hours depending on how worried we are. We just need to trust God. And he goes on it. Where he says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things are added unto you. So our goal isn't to worry. Our goal is to seek him first. Our goal is to seek the kingdom moving in Scranton first. The kingdom moving in our lives first. And so today, as an adult, not thinking like a kid, there's so many times where I put my dependence and I put my satisfaction in other things first before turning to the kingdom. I have this example of this, of how a child acts and how we act. So the other day, I came home from work, and I walk into the living room, and my daughter's there on the floor playing with toys. All these awesome toys are awesome toys. I still play with them. Anyone like being a dad? You can play with blocks again. I was like building towers with her. I'm like, this is awesome. That's what I do. We, me and my wife have this competition where we build like the highest tower and see if she's, like we have to build it before she knocks it over. It's awesome. But she has all these awesome toys around her. And I look down, and she's playing with this big, slotted plastic spoon from our kitchen. And I was like, what? And my wife had given it to her, and she was so content, so joyful with a plastic slotted spoon. And I stepped back, and I was like, God, how many times did I cry out for something? And what it appeared, you gave me like a plastic spoon. And I was like, this stinks. This is terrible. When instead he knew that if I just took that opportunity, if I took what he was giving me, that I would be the most satisfied and joyful person, and yet I just saw a stupid plastic spoon. And so kids, you can give kids anything, plastic cups, you can like give them a pen, paper. They are so content with whatever you give them because they're like, oh, this is joyful. We need to get back to that point where when we're offered something by God, that we take it and we're like, this is awesome. It could be like a worse job. Like you'd be praying so hard for a new job. Then he gives you a job. You're like, well, eh. He's like, you don't know down the road how fulfilled you're going to be in this job. You don't know. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He has our best thoughts and intentions in mind. And sometimes we just look and go, this is just a stupid plastic spoon. How is this going to make me happy? And we, we, I love this verse in Jeremiah. In fact, I think I said it last time, paraphrased when I spoke. But it's in Jeremiah, and he, the Lord's saying, For my people have committed two evils. One, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have also hewed out and built out cisterns for themselves, which is like a pot, broken cisterns that never satisfy. 
And so when we have these things, that, and a slotted spoon's not a good answer because it's broken and it seeps water through, but he gives us stuff, and he has the fountain of living water, and yet we try to build our own little thing, and it's never going to leave us satisfied. Never. I want to get to the point, there's that song we sing all the time. It's a chorus by United Pursuit. Look them up, they're awesome. Uh, and it says, there's nothing I have need of because there's nothing he hasn't done. And that song resonates with me every time because I'm like, what? Like, it makes me want to praise him, it makes me want to jump, it makes me want to cry at the same time because there's nothing we truly have need of, nothing. He has it all waiting for us because there's nothing he hasn't done. He's conquered it all, he's our victory, he's everything. And there's that point in the Psalms, and I love this verse in the Psalms as well, where David is crying out, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength and the portion forever. What? Like, I can't get to that point now. I think if everything failed, would I turn to God? I have no idea. But as a child, when everything fails, they turn to their parents. That's their first response, and God wants us to be like that. And the next thing is a child has great faith and believes in the impossible. Have you ever seen kids do crazy things? Like now as an adult, you wouldn't do, like jump off of high things. I remember when I was young at my old house, I like lined up in my hallway, saw the stairs, and I was like, I believe I can fly. I'm just going to fly. And so I ran as fast as I could, jumped, and I fell down the stairs, and it hurt. And while that's a silly example, that's the kind of faith God is saying you have. Like this is what was required, faith that I can do anything. And as silly as that is, like jumping down steps, when he says move a mountain, imagine, like, the disciples were probably like, what? A mountain? We can't move a mountain, but God requires childlike faith from us. And it's, it's believing what he has said, and it's believing that he can do the impossible. Believing in miracles, believing our family members can be saved, believing that the city can be transformed, that all requires faith. And a faithless life where you don't have faith for anything leads to a hopeless life. It does. If you have no faith, you walk around depressed because you don't think anything can change. You walk around worried, and you're like, well, this stinks. I can't change any situation. He's saying, no, you can. You can move mountains. What mountains do you have today that you can move in your life with faith? What mountains in the city can you move today? And we have, he requires that faith. And we also have to believe what he's spoken over us, the promises he's spoken over us personally. And I remember, and part of being a child is you believe everything your parents say, right? You can tell them a kid the craziest thing and they'll believe you because they're like, well, this must be the truth that's coming from my parents. And I remember one time, uh, I was really young. It was April Fool's Day, which I didn't know at the time because I was young. And my dad yells down the hallway, Ben, there's a lion out in the hallway. I've never been so scared in my life. And my dad tells a story, like, me and my brother, like, sort of, like, and, like, looked around, like, nervous, scared. I believed him. I believed him. And God is saying today, just believe what I have spoken over you. There's so many times where I hear from the Lord, and I hear him saying something, and I'm like, I don't believe that. That's not me. I can't speak. I can't sing. I can't do this. And he's saying, have faith like a child. They believe everything. They believe what I say. And so we need childlike faith. And Mike sort of alluded to that today, which confirmed a lot of things. So thank you, Mike, wherever you are. Another thing is, a child, and this is, I'm going to get really bold right now, and this might bump up against a lot of religious spirits in this place, but allow me to be bold and yell at me later. A child does not operate under any law, but operates under the grace of his parents. 
Have you ever seen a child worried about breaking rules? Like a young kid, as you get older, you do because you're fear punishment. Have you ever seen a little kid break rules? Like get worried about it? And this is not me, hear me out, this is not me saying let's push the limits of grace and let's go out and deceive when he corrects us. This is me saying we have to live in a freedom of knowing that if we're according to the Spirit, if we're part of the Spirit, we know what's wrong. And if we're moving the ways of the flesh, we're moving the ways of the flesh. But the Spirit leads us in this place of freedom. And Jesse mentioned that this morning as well, which I was like, man, everyone's preaching my message. I might as well just not get up. But so many times, so many times, we walk around in this fear of punishment when God's saying, look, I'm not going to punish you. Yes, he corrects. If you're running towards a car, he's going to pull you back. But it's never an angry correction. It's all through love and it's all through grace. And we've built this prison around ourselves of law we have i mean i can think of so many times we have these black and whites we have these gray areas we have these do's and don'ts and we're so worried about crossing them that we build a prison around ourselves instead of enjoying and running through the fields of grace and mercy he has to offer like picture that as a kid just i mean i haven't been to a field in a long time i would love to run through a field <laughs> but like it's so freeing open space freedom and we, we bind ourselves up in thinking, well, there's a law, we have to follow it, we're so worried. You will never live out in true freedom. I'm going to be bold here. Like, Paul even says, everything's permissible, not everything's, like, beneficial. He wants people to push their limits of grace. Not in, like, let's just go out and sin. But he's saying, you don't even know grace. You have no idea what the freedom you have that, I'm off, that Jesus is offering you right now. And we walk around just scared of it. We need to rest in his love and mercy. In Galatians 5, 1 through 6, it says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Notice there, it doesn't say, For more law, Christ has set you free. His main goal in all of this was freedom. His main goal wasn't for us to make do's and don'ts. Can I watch a radar movie? Can I do this? His, his goal wasn't, What music can you listen to? His goal was freedom the whole time. And that may look different for other people. Like, your freedom might not be someone else's freedom, but we still have freedom, and we shouldn't worry about it. And he says, So stand, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you, and this is Paul talking, if you accept circumcision, if you accept the old law, Christ will no longer be advantage to you. We are trapping ourselves in law and, and forgoing the cross. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision or the old law that he is obligated to keep the whole law. So back then they had this issue where people were like arguing if they could get circumcised. It was part of the law back then for Jewish people. And Paul's like, if you want to take that part of the law, you have to take on the whole law, everything. That's not Christ. If we do that, we've fallen away from grace. And he even goes on to say that if you take this and you accept the law, Except the whole law, and you have grace, you've fallen away from grace. You don't get grace. A child pushes the limits, knowing fully that God will lovingly correct them. Please hear me out. I'm going to say it one more time. I'm not saying let's go sin. I'm saying let's walk in the freedom that God's given us and the grace he's given us and not be afraid. We're going to be hindered our whole lives if we're so worried about, am I doing this right? Am I doing this wrong? We're going to be hindered. And then this, this message also hinges on one thing. Uh, 
to become like a child, you have to have a good view of God as a father. Correct? And so many times, we sort of, it's tougher for us because we always picture our earthly parents. It's a tough thing. We all deal with it and like they're, the lack thereof or a bad experience with them. And so it hinders us realizing how good God is. But I'm here to declare to you today that God is good. And whatever experience you have, I challenge you to pray through that and say, God, show me your love. Because if we always think there, I remember as a kid growing up, my parents weren't the wealthiest. And so at Christmas time, I would hope for all these toys. You ever get like the Toys R Us catalog in the mail? And like I saw it circle all these awesome toys, all these awesome toys. Christmas would come, I wouldn't get them, and I'd be like, well, this is a letdown. I took that experience and brought it to God like that. And I said, well, if they let me down, God's going to let me down. And so I was always hopeless. I'm always like, well, I guess God's not going to give me what I want. That's not true. And so we, we cannot bring our experience of our parents into our experience with God. He is good. He loves us. And at Celebrate Recovery this week, uh, I'm going to share something we share in the group. I'm allowed to. I got permission. Usually the rule is what's said in group stays in group, but this isn't anything bad. So Mike was talking about his interaction with Mikey. It wasn't the same one from today. And he was saying, like, the time Mikey was born, him and Sarah always tried to get him to smile, like always interacting with him, always being joyful, always smiling at him. It wasn't until recently that he started to like, oh, wait, my parents are like interacting with me, smiling at me. Let me smile back. And he said, let me get, I didn't like write it down word for word, so I'm going to paraphrase Mike. But Mike said, that's the same thing God does with us. We don't realize it. Sometimes we're far away. We don't see it. But God's never being angry with us. He's always interacting. He's always loving. He's always smiling at us. All we have to do is turn and realize it. When we become like a kid, we become and just go, oh, wow, my parents like me. My, my father in heaven is smiling down at me right now. Let me smile back. Even when we turn and squander his grace, he chases after us with open arms. He even goes after us in this, the parable about the lost sheep. He has 100 sheep, right? One goes missing. He still has 99 sheep. I don't even know if I would go after that one sheep. I'd still look and be like, well, it's not a loss. I didn't lose 99 and I still have one. He went and found him. That's how good your father is. He doesn't let you go. He goes and finds you. He pursues you down. He pursues you. He's gracious. He is slow to anger, rich in love. He's forgiving. He's compassionate. He understands. He accepts you. He satisfies you. He is peace. He pursues us. He heals. He redeems. He renews. He's righteous. He's sovereign. He has our best intentions in mind. And I'm going to read a long section of verse here just to so this is in Psalms 139, and this shows us the Father's heart. And if we're always worried about, like, does he know me? Is his best intentions for me? This verse is such an amazing verse. And just shows you how much he knows you, how much he cares about you, what he's doing in you. And just to believe as a child that your Father has you. And so it's Psalms 139. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. 
Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in from behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is a high, I cannot contain it. Like that's, David stops and goes, this is too crazy to think of that he knows all this about me. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If, if I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. So no matter where we are, if you feel like you're in the pits of hell, if you feel like you're in the highest point, he's still there holding on to you and he knows exactly where you are. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me is night, even the darkness is not dark to you. For darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful all your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book, were written my days, every one of them that you formed for me when as yet there was none. And so many times we walk around going, is God in this? Does God know about this? Does he know the darkness I'm in right now? And he's saying, I formed all those days. I know where you are. You can go anywhere I'm there. And so many times as adults in this adult mindset, we lose that hope and trust that God is there. We lose that childlikeness where we go, I'm just going to turn and cry to my dad. I'm just going to turn and love my dad. He's there. He's waiting for me. And to see the kingdom come in Scranton, we have to become children. We have to lay down our pride. We have to understand our identity as sons and daughters. We have to stop striving. We have to rest in him. We have to lean back in his loving arms. Because then we can hear his voice clearly. We can hear his heartbeat, his heartbeat for our city, his heartbeat for our workplaces, his heartbeat for our family. We can act in that. We can operate in love and grace because we know fully that he operates in love and grace with us. And we can believe and have faith for the mountains in Scranton to move because God is faithful. He always will be. Let me just pray and then we're going to some worship. Lord, God, I thank you that this kingdom isn't about striving. This kingdom isn't about pride. Uh, this kingdom is, isn't about attaining a position in you, Lord, but this kingdom is about being a child and just doing what the Father says and trusting that the Father has the best plans for us, Lord. Give us childlike faith so we can, when we come up against circumstances, when we come up against mountains, uh, we know that you are faithful to move them, God. God, let us truly walk in the freedom that you have to offer us. And God, we declare today that you are good. We declare your goodness, God, that you clothe the lilies, you'll clothe us, God. You hold nothing back from us. You are the fountain of living waters, Lord. Help us not to build up broken cisterns, broken pots that don't hold anything and will always leave us empty, Lord. 
we turn to you as our soul satisfaction. We turn to you for our life, God. Only you can satisfy us the way we want to be satisfied, Lord. Help us realize that, God. God, we lean back in your loving arms. We rest in your loving arms, God. Lord, help us hear your voice. Help us hear your heartbeat for the, our enemies, for our city, Lord. And give us faith, God. Lord, help us turn to become born again, God. Help us realize how freeing it is to be a child with you, God. Help us realize our identity as a son and a daughter today, Lord. Help us free people, God, that are still bound to the law. God, give us the faith to believe in miracles, God. 